Welcome to this podcast on Church Governance 101. This is session one. My name is Sam Hamstra. I am preparing this for the dedicated elders and deacons of Trinity Church in Brown Deer. Trinity is a reformed church and subscribes to a Presbyterian form of government. More on that later. But I hope they and you will find this teaching helpful to your service in the local church. If you're listening to this, you have been placed in a position of authority in a local church, and now you're trying to figure out how the church functions in your role in it. So let's start at the beginning by affirming that Jesus Christ is head of the church. He is head of your local church and head of the church Catholic, that is, the church universal. Christians here, there, and everywhere in the past, present, and future the church that will worship the Lord together throughout eternity. But don't take my word for it. Let's go to the Bible, our authority for life and ministry. And here's a tip. If you want to know about what the Bible has to say about the church, the first place to go is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Several passages in that letter address the subject of the church and affirm that Christ is not only head of the church, but head of the universe. Ephesians 1, verse 20 to 23. We read these words, that God the Father raised Jesus from the grave and exalted him to his right hand in heaven, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Then God the Father appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. With those words, Paul describes the universal ramifications of Jesus' ascension 40 days after his resurrection. They also establish that Jesus Christ is present in the world in his body, the church. More directly, the church is Christ's body. Not the building called church, for the word ecclesia never refers to a building. Rather, the people of God, the followers of Jesus, the elect from all nations, they or we are the body of Christ. Before leaving the subject, let's look at a couple other passages. In Colossians 1, verse 15, we read, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. In Ephesians 5, verse 21, we read, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Scripture is clear, my friends. 
Jesus Christ is sovereign over all and head of the church. He holds all authority. The buck stops with him. But is Christ head of your local church? The agenda for the monthly meeting of the elders included correspondence. At this point in the meeting, the clerk or secretary would briefly describe one by one the letters sent to the elders. Then the elders would decide whether or not to have the clerk read the correspondence or forward it to another person or group or simply disregard it. I will never forget one meeting of the elders. When we got to the correspondence part of the agenda, the clerk, the clerk began going through letters received one by one, ending with a letter written by a church member who was no longer active in the life of the church but had a beef with me. The clerk summarized the letter, notified the elders that the writer of the letter believed that, motivated by ill will, I had intentionally offended her, and you wonder how? By removing her name from a church mailbox. Now, you can't make this stuff up. So I reported that the church office took this action because this person no longer attended the church, had indicated that she wasn't coming back to church, and her mailbox was overflowing. Still, the elders insisted that the clerk read the letter in its entirety. It was at this point that I objected. I reminded the elders of 1 Timothy 5.19, where Paul writes, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. I reminded the elders of Jesus' teaching on handling personal offense, that if your brother offends you, go and talk to him. I informed the elders that this person who wrote the letter never came to me. I never heard about her problem, her issue before the meeting, but the elders were not persuaded. Against my objections, the letter was read in and its entirety, and to add to this, a lengthy discussion followed, after which the elders decided that the church office did not have the authority to remove a name from a church mailbox. <laughs> Again, you can't make this stuff up. Looking back, I can only conclude that at that moment, in that part of the meeting, Christ was not the functioning head of the congregation. Surely the elders believed that Christ was head, but they were not allowing him to lead them by his word and spirit. So I go back to the question, is Jesus Christ head of your church? You may think that question harsh unless you are familiar with John's letter to the church of Laodicea, recording for us in Revelation 3, 14 to 21. This letter, one of seven recorded by John, is unlike the others with which 
Each include a compliment before a soft warning. The letter to Laodicea does not include one positive word. Instead, it includes a stern condemnation by describing a congregation in a most surprising position. Let's read the letter. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Well, Ephesians tells us who that is. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, and poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can you envision what Scripture describes? Christ, the head of the church, stands outside of his church in Laodicea, knocking on the door of his church, seeking entrance into his church. Here I am, I stand and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Isn't that an incredible vision? Contrary to popular opinion, Jesus is not portrayed as knocking on the door of someone's heart. He is seeking entry into his lukewarm but overly confident religious organization. Jesus Christ is outside, knocking on the door, seeking entrance into his church. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that Jesus, the head of the church, made certain that John included this passage in the book of Revelation. Surely this letter was included to encourage every Christian congregation to ask from time to time a simple question, is Christ really head of our church? Your answer might be, well, of course, for the Bible teaches that Christ is the head of our church. Well, now let me rephrase. Is Christ a figurehead or the functioning head of your congregation? In other words, does Christ really govern the life and ministry of your congregation by his word and by his spirit? I am thinking that the best answer is most of the time. Because some of the time, as in the aforementioned story, we yield to peer pressure or we take the road of least resistance. 
Sometimes, for example, we choose to validate complainers ra rather than challenge their selfishness. Sometimes we get involved or triangulate a relationship by not insisting that the offended person first speak directly to the person who has offended him or her. Sometimes we entertain suggestions from people who are not bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, so we're not, we shouldn't really be sure that their suggestion is flowing from the Spirit. Sometimes we fail to integrate the teaching of Scripture into our practices as a church. There are several reasons why congregational leaders should ask, is Christ the head of our church? First, the willingness to ask the question cultivates a spirit of humility and leads to confession of sin. Second, the answers to the question will reveal areas in the life of the church that need to be addressed if we desire to be found worthy of our calling. Third, the question reflects a sincere desire that Christ be the functioning head of your church, leading it by his word and spirit. The good news is that we, the church, don't have a one-and-done relationship with Christ. When we mess up, when we kick him out of church while we make decisions on our own, he never leaves us or forsakes us. He keeps knocking, hoping that the next time a decision is made, he will be invited to the table.